Welcome to another edition of the Green Beard Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beard. And back again this week is Ricky Nurse. Ricky, how's it going, my brother? It is going well, sir. It is going well. Well, we the are professor himself to have you back here again this week. We were supposed to be going forward again today. However, for those of you um, who are not under rocks, you would know that this weekend just passed. Along with it being Super Bowl weekend, Monday was Valentine's Day. So because of the responsibilities that some of us have had, then uh, <laughs> Justin is missing from us today. But Justin, you're a family and we understand that, you know, there are some things that do take precedence. So we'll see you again sometime soon. So fellas, we got a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about this week. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to waste too much time with preamble. Um, Super Bowl 56 is now behind us. And congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams for capturing their second Super Bowl in team history. In keeping with most of the games of this playoffs, this one came down to the wire. But the Rams were able to secure the victory on the backs of a terrific defensive performance anchored by Aaron Donald, who collected two sacks of his own. And as a team, it has secured seven sacks of Joe Burrow. Losing Odell Beckham Jr. was a shot to the system, but Super Bowl MVP Cooper Cup was able to beat the double coverages and Eli Apple in particular, to snag two touchdowns, including the game winner on a back shoulder throw from the one, sorry, back shoulder throw from the one yard line from Matthew Stafford. But off the rip, we have to talk about that halftime show. So Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, and Kendrick Lamar with a guest appearance from 50 Cent. So AJ, actually no, you start with Ricky, because Ricky, you are the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not regular of the three of us here. Right. Was this the best you've ever seen? It was easily up there. Um, I I still still can't quite say the best, but easily in the top three that I've seen. Yeah, easily, easily. Without a doubt. What about you, AJ? Is that the best you've ever seen? Uh, you know who's back up in this sucker. Listen, right? <laughs> I even I even tweeted it out right afterwards. And Ricky, I completely understand your side of it. I if someone says top three to me, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue on that. But I will die on my own hill. That was the best that I have ever seen for me. And I guess more so because for me it hit home. Like that is my genre. That mm-hmm. is everything. That is that is my music. Like every single tune I knew. I was into every single thing. I ain't I, I really here to argue with anyone. If you don't think it's the yeah. best you've ever seen, I understand that. Correct. It is one of the best, but to me, it was the best halftime show I have ever I have ever seen. That's so, on EJ. No, I can't come out and say that is the best I've ever seen. And that is, you know, when as, as a musician, right. I come in at it from a slightly different angle too. The regular fan. So is it one of the best I've ever seen? Definitely. Is it probably the best or most memorable I've seen since Bruno Mars did the halftime show? Absolutely. But I I can't come right here right now and say that it was the best I've ever seen. 
but it was definitely fantastic. It was great to see the props that mm-hmm. they had, the way how they basically you know, created a neighborhood, and then everybody mm-hmm. was performing on top of the houses. House and, party, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was really cool to see. Um, I said this to my wife because she was sitting next to me during the game, and especially during the halftime show. I probably would have picked different songs if I was planning the set list for Snoop and I was planning the set list for Eminem. But I can't argue with what they did Direct. because it was extremely well done. So yeah. I definitely, I'm, I'm not here to try to convince anybody <laughs> either. You, well, you can't convince me. I don't, I'm telling you. <laughs> you I'm telling you. You, <laughs> you cannot me. convince me. <laughs> I tell, I tweeted it out. I said on Twitter, at your parents, if 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 don't at me though, but I tell you, this is the best I have ever seen. That's to me. That one hit home for me though. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really really good to see hip hop get its due. Um, yeah, agreed. It was interesting to go back and see. You know that Eminem took a knee. You know, as I have to say, I had to go back and see. And see, see it. Yes. <laughs> because again, I I was distracted by the fact that Dr. Dre was sitting at the piano. And I was watching his hands <laughs> as a piano player. I was watching his hands to see to make yeah, sure he was sure actually doing. Trying to make sure he wasn't trying to Millie Vanilli. You, I get it. Exactly. I, yeah. If you ask my wife, that is a problem that I have. We can be watching a movie, and mm-hmm. if somebody sits down on a piano, I suddenly pay very close attention to their hands. Um, I just just as a perfect example, we watched um, as we always tell folks. This is recorded on Tuesday, so yesterday was Valentine's Day. I went with the wife, we went and we watched the Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson movie, Marry Me, which was actually better than I anticipated it was going to be. Time, uh, <laughs> it some was stories. nice. It was it was a solid watch. Right. But, better you than me. But anyhow, AJ, <laughs> being, there was a scene where Jennifer Lopez was sitting on the piano and she was playing a few notes and stuff. And mm-hmm. she was actually playing the notes. But the way how she was playing the notes, I could tell that she don't really play no piano. So that's, but that's 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 what Ken does. That's that's what Ken is <laughs> when it comes to this thing. So now that we don't blame you. Yeah, now that we've covered the off the rip, now mm-hmm. let's talk about the game. Now, I gave all of the lead up for the game. So Ricky, you and I, we both were on the side of the Bengals who didn't win. To the victor goes the spoils. Mm-hmm. So we have to give AJ first crack. So AJ, how did the Rams win it? Well, since my compatriot Justin isn't here, I will represent for the two of us, right? It was pretty much a lot of what I said last week or what we, I, I should say, we said last week, right? One of the main things that jo, um, Justin and I had agreed on was that Joe Burrow need to be, needed to be kept upright. And the Bengals didn't do that. They, the offensive line could not do it. The man was sacked seven times, and not just seven times, but seven of the most inopportune times, right? Um, like you said, yeah, again, they, they were never going to win that game if, if they couldn't keep him up. And again, like, for, for example, right? Since the game ended, it's, it's been well-documented. Like, that final drive has been all over social media and stuff. And... Is is now an unknown fact that Jamar open was actually Jamar Chase was actually open on the outside because um, Jalen Ramsey apparently fell down. 
don't know if it was a face mask again, but you know, I'll get into that. Yeah, a little later. Fact of the matter is, Jamar Chase was open, but but Joe Burrow did not have time. Why? Because Aaron Donald, and that brings me into my next point. Aaron Donald is inevitable. Clearly, his plan was to put Joe Burrow in a chokehold. He was fully focused, right? Honestly, he's my MVP of the game. But I get that given the season that Cooper Cup had and the fact that he had two touchdowns in the game, and he was actually really good in the game. It, it would have felt like an abomination to not have him walk away with at least one individual award, right? So, so, so Cooper Cup had to get something. But Aaron Donald was my real MVP for that game. He is that dude. Again, on that final drive, Joe had one shot. One opportunity to seize everything he ever wanted in one minute, <laughs> but he couldn't. He couldn't capture it. He just let it slip. And why? Because of Aaron Donald. This man was using offensive linemen as as make way to get to the court. This man was just throwing bodies around. He was throwing bodies around. Ne my next point: the quarterback of the Rams. That is, <laughs> for the most part, Matthew Stafford protected the ball, right? And this is one of the things that that I, I mentioned last week. He had to protect it. You know, he didn't protect OBJ because I maintain that that was a really bad throw that caused OBJ to get injured. But I, I digress. <laughs> He had two picks. One of them, I, I, I still do feel like the first one was unnecessary because I didn't see the sense in trying to make, to take a deep shot at that point when he still had more than two minutes left and he had time off. This was coming to the end of the first half. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the sense in doing that because he could have made a safer play. There were um, receivers open underneath that could have gotten them into field goal range at least, right? But again, okay, cool. It didn't cause too much harm. The second one, um, pick that is came off of the hand of that tight end whose name I refuse to try to pronounce. Um, Skoronic. Skoronic, all right, right, right. Bubonic, chronic, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> chronic. Anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, it 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 wasn't his. The, the, the second one wasn't his fault. I would say he, he the first one uh, could have played it a bit safer, but still, Stafford protected the ball on a, on the very last drive. He made some good throws and. I mean, I know you all seen the clips too, the no-look throws and all that. I mean, I, I, I'm hyping up all that. It's more so the fact that he protected the football. And he made, the, the at most times during the game, when he needed to make the, play, the right plays, he did that. Right? And, you all know I had to do this. Lastly, but not least, right? And I said last week, because none of you guys wanted to... <laughs> I know that everybody want to talk that they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips, right? It's a bunch <laughs> of gibberish. So you know what? That being said, let me represent for all the gangsters all across the world. I told y'all last week, they need to target Eli Apple. Yes, you did. The Rams feasted on Eli Apple uh, on Sunday night. Eli Apple, crisscross applesauce, sugar apple. <laughs> I honestly, listen, I... Even, even when I was doing my prep, I was trying to remember. Do, do any of you guys remember Eli Apple making a play in this game? No. In all, in all honesty. Nothing. Nothing. Exactly. Exactly. But he gave up quite a few, though. He gave up quite a few. <laughs> Let me use some Bajan parlance, right? I tell one of that boy, it's sugar, you know. <laughs> it's sugar <laughs> and people <laughs> and, and, and And like by comparison, Jalen Ramsey didn't even have his best game, right? He didn't, but he still made a very big play at least like, towards the end of the, the, um, the, the play on T. Higgins. 
basically to save a touchdown. That was at the end of the first half, right? He at least made that one play if, if he didn't do anything else. But Eli Apple, he's like, can they? Mark got nothing right in that game. I feel like everything that Justin and I said last week came to fruition, and that is exactly how the Rams won. All right, Ricky. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to respond first with how did the Bengals lose this game? Yes. Firstly, let me take my hat to Justin and to AJ for getting it right. Um, the amazing thing is that this is the second consecutive Super Bowl where the battle of the trenches um, resulted in, you know, tipping the scales in, in terms of what we saw in the field. Last year, we saw Tampa Bay totally overwhelm the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes based on what took place in the, in the trenches. And the same thing happened here. Um, I thought the, we, we, we had that expectation and we had that narrative going into the game. But the Bengals really could not get it right. They just got overwhelmed, and especially in that second half. So I think they lost the game in the trenches, as, as Justin and EJ Apley predicted. But more importantly, the secondary um, play in this game was horrible from both teams. I mean, it was the worst statistical game in, in Jalen Ramsey's career. And Eli Apple did what Eli Apple does. Uh, I, I, I don't even know how he continues to secure work um, and, and on teams that are contenders. But they lost the game there. I, I'm personally upset because I remember saying last week to you guys that a Joe was going to be the potential MVP, and I said Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon actually had a very good game. But in critical times, the Bengals did what a lot of teams do, which I just don't understand. They said, this is our third down package. Therefore, P. Ryan has to be on the field and Mixon is off the field. And I think the Bengals did not ensure that their best players remained on the field for the duration. And I, I, I contrast that to what we saw with Cooper Cup. There was a point in that fourth quarter that it was obvious that the Rams coaching staff said, okay, our best player in this moment is Cooper Cup and we are going to get him the ball. Like mm -hmm. there was no ifs and or buts, right? Whether it was the end of wrong, whatever. It was, okay, we're going to Cooper Cup. We will win or lose this game um, based on going to Cooper Cup. And I think I think that the Bengals, the, you know, the reality started to settle in. If you could not protect Joe, if you could not block that Rams front, then there, would, there really was nothing else going on. Um, it, it reinforced the philosophy that these successful teams build from the inside outward, mm -hmm. making sure that you have that strength. You know, um, there are a number of teams that over the years have done that. These Patriots, the Saints are known for that. Um, Dallas Cowboys may not be as strong as they were in the past, but are known for having these robust offensive lines protect the QB at all costs. And mm -hmm. the Bengals are going to have to address that. Or easy to say when you see a young team go to the Super Bowl, oh, they'll be back. But as history has taught us, Yep. It is not as easy as people think. So that's that's where the game was lost. The game was lost in the trenches. And it's going to be very, very... That's The easy part for the Bengals is that they know what they have to address this offseason. Yes, that's very true. Now, a lot of what you said, Ricky, is what I will... I would echo, but it doesn't make sense me repeating the same points <laughs> that you just did. No, there's another place where the Bengals lost this game. 
And that was in adjustments. Mm. So in the early phase of the game, I would, I would probably say up until mid-third quarter, actually, the Bengals' offensive line were not doing a bad job of blocking for Burrow. Mm-hmm. Because the Rams were so afraid of leaving Chase, Higgins, and Boyd one-on-one outside that they were playing the shell coverage with two deep safeties and only rushing four up front. The commentators, Chris Collinsworth especially, was highlighting the fact that what that allowed them to do was to basically double team Aaron Donald on pretty much every single snap. He was He's an interior lineman, so he's going to be lining up on one side of the center. And what they were then doing is that the center would snap the ball, and then he would immediately turn in whichever direction Donald right. was to mm-hmm. add support. Which then, right, which then allowed Mixon to have a pretty good game, as you said, and it gave Burrow more time than he found then in the third quarter. Because in the third quarter, what the Rams started doing is that they started doing what they call stunts, which is you have the end fake as if he's coming in one direction. The interior lineman turns to take whoever would have been guarding him, and then the end comes around him through that gap. So now you have the center turning to whoever is to his left, and that means that the end on his right is stunting coming through that same space. Burrow has no time. At no point in time did the Bengals try to do something different on the offensive line. Is it take one of your receivers out, bring another lineman in, you go six across the front, which then gives you a little bit more protection, and hopefully you get a little bit more time. They didn't do that. Do you take the tight end and bring him in the backfield so that you have an additional blocker back there? When they did that, they took the running back outside. So then it was still just one guy in there now to try to pick up whatever is coming. Mm-hmm. The things that they needed to do to address what was happening on the interior, they didn't do them. So when that happens, then you allow seven sacks of Joe Burrow, who is now the most sacked quarterback in playoff history. Because I think in the four games that he played, he was sacked 19 times. 19 times. That was abysmal. That, that is not a formula for winning football No, at no level. Not Pot Warner, mm-hmm. not college, mm-hmm. definitely not in the pros. And forget it if you're talking about the Super Bowl. So that was one. Number two. Now, I was trying to be a little complimentary to him last week because I didn't recognize that this man actually flamed my team city <laughs> and all fine. You knew, I thought you this is this this Eli Apple. <laughs> Eli Apple, for those in Barbados, there's a word that we would use that rhymes with height for him. <laughs> that is what he is. Oh, my days. So I didn't notice it in real time on the first touchdown that Cooper Cup had. But what was Eli Apple doing? Now, for those of you who have seen the play or who have not seen the play, it is on Twitter. You can go find it. The Cincinnati Bengals are playing a zone defense. And the way how I know it is zone is because everybody is looking at the quarterback 
you have your zone assignment. Mm -hmm. If you are Eli Apple, your zone assignment is that back quarter of the end zone. Correct. Nobody is not okay. So it's one thing if the man ran two receivers in his direction, where then you can say that is a little bit of confusion. He doesn't know who to pick up. The man ran Cooper Cup on that out by himself. Correct. By himself. Only, Why is only. Eli Apple not carrying him going towards the end zone? But Eli Apple lost as all can be. And the ball just drops him behind him and it's a touchdown. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'll so take Eli Apple is charged for 400, Alex. <laughs> and that's why he called him Sugar Apple Swim because he was he looked like he was swimming. He got beaten so bad, he looked like he was swimming. And Cooper Cup got behind him multiple times. Mind you, a touchdown was called back as well. Huh? Don't yeah. forget. Don't mm, forget that true. late in the game, true. a touchdown was called back. He could have got burnt. And I blame AJ for this because AJ sent out some game that we were supposed to play. Foolish me got the thing on my phone and I got the thing to take the shot. And I said, wait a minute. A man running onto the field would have been less shots than Eli Apple getting burnt. I think Eli Apple getting burnt was like the second or third thing on the list. Yeah, yeah. Eli Apple getting burnt resulted in, I believe, four shots during that game. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Four shots. You like have me good tipsy, boy. Yeah. He had me get frustrated. Look, and the thing is, right? I, like I said, I did not know that this man had the audacity to um, pick his teeth and talk mm -hmm. bad about yep. the New Orleans Saints yes, fans and the city. It's mm -hmm. like, have a little bit of, what's the word I'm looking for? Have a little self awareness, Eli. You cannot be trash and be talking trash about somebody else or somewhere else. He, I was so he also shocked. roasted the um, Kansas City Chief wide receivers, Ken. After yeah. they beat, yeah, him. I remember he, he called out he called out Nicole Hardman and stuff. Yeah, and, and Tyree Hill, correct. Mm -hmm. correct. Is that boy crazy? I would say he doesn't have friends. <laughs> like nobody don't tell him. He like really, you need to settle though. You don't have the cred on the streets to be talking like this. Somebody will run upon you and smack you in your mouth and that is what Cooper Cup did repeatedly. Done told you. I, I know y'all didn't disagree with me when I said this last week, but I know y'all didn't also, y'all also did not want to be the ones to say it. I was a villain. I had to say it because it's true. We all knew it was going to happen. We all knew it was going to happen. Cotton candy. No, the thing is, as I said to my wife and to other people, it's not as if to say coming into this game, I was like hard and fast. Bengals must win. I am anti-Rams or whatever. Agreed. I'm happy for guys like Aaron Donald, Odell Beckham, Von Miller gets his second ring, having just mm -hmm. left here in Denver. I'm happy for those boys. Okay. I, I still have trouble with the owner, but that's me personally. <laughs> However, I do also still believe that the Bengals were a year ahead of schedule and as you said Ricky they know what they have to fix going into this offseason they have to fix the offensive line if they don't spend any money anywhere else it better be on that offensive line they also need to get a new secondary at least one corner 
Because Eli Apple should be sitting down the street clothes just like me and you next season. <laughs> well, he was a first-round draft pick at the New York Giants, so somebody will pick him up. No, I don't think so. I think, <laughs> no, this, I think he has now burned or been burned on his last bridge. You would have thought that, okay, first-round pick, the Giants weren't good, so maybe it was because of the Giants. He came to the Saints, he couldn't stop handling people and giving away mm. DPIs. And then he ended up in the Bengals and he got absolutely roasted like a breadfruit in the Super Bowl. Nobody is looking at Eli Apple now and saying he is the answer to our cornerback problems. That's three teams now that he has not done a good job with. There's no... Great. All right. So that was the Super Bowl. AJ, you get to Pampalam. Now we move on. Um... And this week in the NFL. So we start with rumors that a big-name quarterback could be done in his new home. And I really was trying to find a good joke to make here about Baker Mayfield, but I'll just move on. But this is none other than Carson Wentz. Now, one year after being traded with a third-round pick and a conditional second-round pick in his pocket as sweeteners, Wentz could be cut or traded before March 18th. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Ricky, AJ and I had a lot of conversations in the past when we were comparing one Carson Wentz to mm. Dak Prescott. And mm. he was telling me that Wentz is better than Prescott at the time. I have mm. to say, at the time. I give him, I'll give him that. But after he I did say, I did say, I did go back on that on my segment and say that I was wrong about Wentz. Just, just to clear that up, I, on the accurate or not, I did say that. I have to poke him after he get him popular, or we just know. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so no, after Wentz was considered an MVP candidate and taking the Eagles to the cups, cusp of the playoffs mm-hmm. on their way to their Super Bowl win, no, he's looking over his shoulder and hoping for the best. So his contract for 2022 looks like this. is $15 million of his 2022 salary is already fully guaranteed with no offsets. Another $7 million of that salary plus a $5 million roster bonus, so another $12 million, comes <laughs> fully guaranteed on March 18th. So <laughs> if they release him by March 18th, they take $15 million dead cap hit. If they trade him, then there's no hit at all. So, Ricky, what do you think happens to Carson? And where will he have Wentz? I think he's certainly not going to go from whence he came. Let me just say that the reality with Carson Wentz, and I, again, this is my hat tipping show, so I tip my hat to you, Ken, because one thing I know in watching this show all season, you call out the mediocre quarterbacks, and you have been more right than wrong in calling outside mediocre quarterbacks. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, I have a lot of Eagles fans here in Barbados, and they believe that Wentz was something special. I honestly will tell you, I never thought he was. I don't think that that season that you mentioned, Ken, um, was the real Carson Wentz. I actually think that was the aberration season. And I think that Carson Wentz is closer to what we saw here with the Colts. Let's remember, the Colts had Philip Rivers last season, and I dare say that Philip Rivers played better than Wentz did. I think Wentz flattered to deceive 
Uh, those of you who owned him in fantasy would know he definitely gave you some horrible weeks. Yep. He had the running game. He had the defense. He has the offensive line. We just couldn't produce. And you can't lose a game to the Jacksonville Jaguars when you need that game to get into the playoffs and tell me that you're a clutch. So I think you can lose a locker room in moments like that. And I think we will see Carson Wentz released before March 18th. The reason I say released is that $15 million may sound like a lot, but in the today's NFL, as, as hard as that hit will be on the Colts, they're going to have to make a decision. The only way I see him not being released is if the Colts cannot come up with that plan B quarterback. Because at any day, you have to know if you do release this guy, who's going to be our QB? Because we have to believe that the Colts still see themselves as a playoff caliber team. But if you lose the locker room in a game like that, very, very difficult for me to see the Colts brass trusting Carson Wentz in the 2022 season. What about you, AJ? What happens to Carson? I really didn't want to come here and have any hateration or holleration in this dancery, you know. <laughs> I didn't. But but I, I don't like the fact that Carson Wentz is making me look wrong all, all the time. So all the time, all the time. He needs to go, though. I'm better, maybe. Well, I, 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 I let go here a while now. But <laughs> regards to Carson, he needs to go. And... and I genuinely won't be surprised if the Colts moved on. Um, Ricky just mentioned it, but I mean, so yeah, Reich decided to give him another chance because he's familiar with, with, with Carson. And then that decision so far has not been very fruitful. It hasn't seemed like a very feasible one um, when all is said and done. So I won't be upset with the Colts for moving on. Wentz was supposed to be a quarterback who would win them games. Instead, it ended up being that they won games in spite of Wentz right. doing Wentz things. And they most certainly did not, um, I should say, he most certainly was not the reason that they won any games. He really didn't win any games for the course this season, right? No. And if the reports are true, I, like, I really can't blame the course because outside of the quarterback position, they have a good enough roster. Um, their division could basically be wide open. Um, because, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with the Titans, but still, a, a, a quarterback could make the world of a difference in that team because they're not very far off of the Titans. I, I'll, I'll be very honest. So I'd be shocked if Carson Wentz was a starter in the NFL next season. Wow. Now, I also believe that Wentz is going to be on the move. I do not believe that Wentz is going to be traded. And the reason I don't believe he's going to be traded is... If I know that you're going to cut a man shortly Correct. and Correct. he's going to be free, then Just why am I going to give up anything at all yeah. to get him? So Just I wait until that March 18th. There you go. He's probably going to get cut on March 17th because they're going Correct. to try to take it up until the last possible minute to see if somebody's mm -hmm. going to bite. But right now, I don't think that the market is going to be hot for rents as if we're going to have to trade for him. However, mm -hmm. I believe that Wentz is going to be a starter, a week one starter in this league come the beginning of the 2022 season. And the reason why I believe that is that when you look at the, the list of teams that are looking for quarterbacks, there are lots of them. And I'm just going to run through them quickly. And then mm -hmm. I'll say where I think he's going to go. 
You can correct me if I am wrong. Stop me if you heard this one. But Cleveland is going to be looking for quarterback. Pittsburgh, Houston, Tennessee could be, maybe. Denver, Minnesota, the whole of the NFC South, <laughs> Washington. So that, that, but my counting, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, 10, 12. 12 teams that could be looking for a quarterback in a draft that we know they don't have good quarterbacks, right? Of the 12 that I just mentioned, I believe that he could get some good attention from Pittsburgh, Carolina, Atlanta, if they decide that, it would, well, Atlanta, he may not be a week one starter. He may be a backup then. But Atlanta's a possibility. And Denver, if they don't land Aaron Rodgers or any of these other quarterbacks that they've been courting for the, for the last year and a half or so. So I believe that it is likely that Carson Wentz does get a starting job somewhere. And I believe that Pittsburgh could be the most likely location for him. I, I, I want to refute one team that you named there, right? Just one. You said 12, right? I really don't see the Titans making a move for him. I don't think having won your division with Ryan Tannehill for the past two seasons that you know, even if you lose him, go to Carson Wentz. I, I don't see, like, they're very, they would be very familiar with Wentz. I mean, and they've seen enough tape. Uh, having, having played him in the last, in the last season, and, and obviously there's enough tape, I don't see that they honestly think that Carson Wentz would be an upgrade even if they were to lose Tannehill. That is the one I refute. The others, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you those. But honestly, I know that the I have a question mark next to Tennessee because mm -hmm. I know Tennessee would, if there was an opportunity for them to upgrade the quarterback position, they would definitely do it. Mm -hmm. But like you, I personally do not see um, that you can take the most likely 16 to 17 games of Ryan Tannehill versus the 10 to 12 games of Carson Wentz. Wentz is not going to be better than Tannehill in those 12 games that he plays. So, no, I I, I just threw that one out there to see what the response would be, but nah, I don't see Tennessee <laughs> being a likely landing spot for him. But okay. definitely Pittsburgh, Carolina, those are the two teams that I would keep my eye on, especially if they can't get something else done somewhere else. No, if, if I may add, no, if I may add two names to what you're saying, Ken, I think Marcus Mariota mm -hmm. is going to enter the chat when it comes to a potential starter because yeah. mm -hmm. he is going to be a free agent. And Mariota has done, you know, a little relief work um, with the Raiders. But I think Mariota is a talent that teams will take a chance on um, mm -hmm. in free agency. And you're on Jameis Winston. I am not convinced that he stays in New Orleans. I think there may be a market for him as well um, if the big names all stay where they currently are. If Russell Wilson stays and Aaron Rodgers stays, I think Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston become attractive options um, as free agent quarterbacks for some teams. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, <clears throat> especially with Jameis, because yeah. with Sean Payton gone, anything is possible, Hill. Correct. Correct. Now, you know, we said 
that usually every business relationship is usually considered in terms of a marriage. Mm -hmm. And even your relationship to an idea can sometimes be described in such terms. Like I'm not married, you know, to that idea or to that plan. Mm -hmm. Well, one coupling that seems to need marriage counseling is Mm Kyla Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. As you mentioned last week, AJ, briefly, Kyla Murray scrubbed his Instagram account of all things Cardinals related, save one photo of him at the Pro Bowl with the Cardinals. Well, you can't even see the colors on his helmet. Mm -hmm. Now, on Valentine's Day, he actually put up a post of him in his Cardinals uniform, and it said, I play this game for the love of it, my teammates, everyone who has helped me to get to this position that believed in me and to win championships. All of this nonsense is not what I'm about, never has been, never will be. Anyone who has ever stepped between those lines with me knows how hard I go. Love me or hate me, but I'm going to continue to grow and get better. So we're hearing reports that he's unhappy with the team because he feels that they're scapegoating him for the playoff loss. The Cardinals have leaked that the, that the feeling in the building is that Kyler is self-centered, immature, and a finger pointer. So AJ, where do you see this going from here? I see it. Where I, where I see it going, this is, it's just pathetic at this point to me. <laughs> it's kind of pathetic. And I, I don't know if you guys have been, Rick, I know you're in, let me not word this correctly. Mm-hmm. The, the, the type of, 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 of um, impact that social media has on relationships, I would say it kind of, mm-hmm. you kind of predate that, right? Uh, yep. Not to sound bad, but okay. right. Right. And Ken, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but I have been there in, in a toxic situation where maturity and common sense just take flight and then pettiness moves to the forefront. And you start doing stuff like deleting pics in a despicable attempt to send a message to your significant other, right? It's just mm-hmm. really sad. And, and, and like I said last week, Calabari knew exactly what he was doing, right? Um, there's still information that we, to which we are still not privy. We don't know everything that's happening, but he knew what he was doing. And the fact that the Cardinals are reciprocating and apparently they um, deleted some posts and all sort of crap as well and left up just one picture of him. And yep. it, it, this all just reeks Petty. of desperation. Yeah, and pettiness. It, it's just kind of annoying. Like, take care of your business behind the scenes. I, 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 can't, I can't tell you where it's going because I don't know what's happening. But I know that whatever is happening... Both parties involved, the Cardinals and Kyler Murray, need to sort it out before training camp starts. Because as of this point, neither of them is going to do better in this offseason. No more drama, guys. Solve it. <laughs> what about you, Ricky? You're not even the minister of dysfunctional teams and dysfunctional <laughs> relationships on this show. So let me address this matter. Um, Kyler Murray is a quarterback that attended University of Oklahoma Sooners. University also produced Baker Mayfield and also produced an, another petty one by the name of Spencer Rattler. I don't know if you heard about him, but he was a hot mess at Oklahoma, entered the transfer window, off he goes again. It produced three consecutive diva quarterbacks, their last three quarterbacks, right? And albeit they were 
Heisman winners along the way, but they were also very, very entitled. Um, these issues happened with Baker as an Oklahoma sooner. It happened with Kyler as a very entitled Oklahoma sooner. And it happened with Spencer to the umph degree when he got benched through a tantrum and basically has now moved on. The reality of it is that, and I follow a lot of college football, obviously. I'm not surprised. This is who Baker is and was. This is who Kyler is and was. And this is a pattern that I have seen with them before just following the college game. I am the more disappointed here in the Arizona Cardinals because we know how the game is played these days by these athletes and their social media. Scrubbing your social media, we know what's next, right? And other athletes have done it, not me the last. But I've never seen an organization react in such a petty way. And I made it a point to go onto the Cardinals page, social media pages, because they didn't want to believe that they would have been that petty as well. When they went on the page, the reports were accurate. So when you then do this as an organization, you know what I always like to say, guys? I always listen to who's going to come out and back you as a teammate. Yeah. And when I don't hear a Hopkins or anyone in the organization come out in defense of your quarterback, this is not a safety or a backup running back. This is your, this is your organization. Mm -hmm. A week has passed. No one has come out to the defense of Kyler Murray to say, well, no, that's not my QB. That is not the Kyler Murray I know. So when I hear silence on that front and I see the pettiness by the organization, um, this is this going to get messier before it gets better. Even the head coach did not come out and defend his quarterback um, when this information came out. Mm -hmm. So that's not the way to do it. I agree. But the funny thing is, I actually don't see this going anywhere. I don't see <laughs> anything really changing for either party. This is, to quote Shakespeare, much ado about nothing. Kyler Murray is going to be back with the Cardinals next season. He, he's on the contract. Yeah. yeah, he's had an end to the fourth year of his rookie contract. And the team has a fifth-year option that they're going to exercise. So... In the short term, this this is just a whole lot of smoke. However, mm. we will see the fire when this deal expires, and then they have to figure out what is going to happen with him. Because we all know that Murray, for all of his flaws, he is still a franchise quarterback in this league. Mm -hmm. And they don't have 20. I went through 12 teams just now that are looking for, that would love to upgrade or looking actively looking for a quarterback. So there's no way that they're going to want to just let him walk. But the one thing that works in Kyler's favor versus somebody like um, that boy in Minnesota, uh, name is Kirk Cousins. Kirk yeah, Cousins. Kyler Murray's money is too big already as a first home pick quarterback for them to play the franchise tag game. There's no way that they can do it because, you know, for every year, every time that you're tagged, you get, I think it's like 125% of the salary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with him taking a cap hit of like $30, $30 million, you, you're not looking to just up and give this man the almost $40 million 
playing on a one-year deal. No, you don't do that with franchise quarterbacks. So we have to wait and see what happens, I guess, in another year or two. But as you said right now, this is this is pettiness all around, and I don't see how it ends well for either party. Let me just add one point, though. Where you do see this kind of behavior impacting you, AJ Green is a free agent, and so is there James Conner, right? Mm-hmm. This can impact you in the free agency market in the sense that some players will not want to go towards a situation if they think it is messy, especially in that division where we've acknowledged that foreigners may be one quarterback away from going on the same run that the Rams just went on and the Rams basically can retool as well. We don't know what Seattle is going to do. But if you're in need for a, a key free agent signing, a quality free agent who's chasing a ring may choose someone else, may choose to go to Green Bay or to the Saints before they look at that mess and say, oh, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. So that's why he's saying sometimes these organizations need to think this is not a good look for us. This may affect us mm-hmm. in the months when we are trying to go after the prize free agents. So again, you don't want your organization looking dysfunctional to the world because, you know, we saw what happened. Odell Beckham had a decision between the Saints, the Packers, and the Rams. And we can argue that he chose, chose wisely. There are moments like that in the season that can be a game changer. So I think the Cardinals need to fix this and fix it fast before the free agency, or certainly the best free agents, become available. Well said. Agreed. So now we're off to the coaching carousel, round two, where last week we you know we spent some time looking at um, Brian Dable and um, Dennis Allen and McDaniel, the black McDaniel, and mm-hmm. Lovie Smith. <laughs> so now we are off to look at some of the other coaches that have been hired. And the first up is Mr. Matt Eberflus. Eberflus is the new head coach of the Chicago Bears. So Ricky, what, tell me about Eberflus. Do you think that this is a good hire and does this bode well for Justin Fields? Um, I, firstly, I have to believe that anything that moves Fields away from Matt Nagy has to be positive. Um, <laughs> most of the rankings I looked at relative to, you know, these coaching hires, they've said positive things about Eberflus and what potentially he can bring to the table. Um, I just think it's going to be all about culture. I, I think that these coaching hires really hang on who's able to bring in a culture that can help young QBs develop. If he's able to do that, Yes. Um, so you got to give a man a chance in a, in a situation like this. What I will say, though, he certainly has not grabbed the headlines that some of the others have grabbed. Um, he's just gone in and seems to have just gotten to work, so to speak. So ignoring the noise in that context may be a good thing when you have a, a young quarterback like Fields. So I, I, I obviously, we, we, we have to give it a chance because I wasn't the biggest Zach Taylor fan, for example, but things have turned out positively there. Um, but the, the, the Bears have definitely have some assets that he can work with. So that is one that it may be a little vanilla by comparison to some of the others, uh, just based on the personality of the individual. But I like the fact that he's, gonna, he's been under the radar 
and just gotten to work. Nice. What about you, AJ? What do you have on Eberflus? So this was the weirdest hire of the bunch to me, right? Um, and not just Eberflus in isolation, but the, the entire Chicago like front office situation, because it's the first time GM as well, mm-hmm. first time head coach, sophomore QB who was nowhere near his potential last year. And, and, and this head coach is supposed to be more of, of a defensive mind, right? Which was, we could have said, was a situation, it should have been the situation about Matt Nagy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, 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 I was very, I was, I was confused, for want of a better word, with this hiring, right? And like I said, just how um, the Bears front office was being restructured, essentially. Um, I, I am interested to see, because I'm a fan of Fields, Loosely. So I, I kind of do want to see if, if he can um, get a direction he needs from, because um, they hired um, Lou Getsy from, where was, where, where, where they taking Getsy from? He was um, an OC somewhere or, or QB coach, some, one of the other teams. He, he was, was he's the more, office, he was the Packers quarterback, quarterback's coach. There we go. There we go. I know he was, he was more of the offensive mind. So let's see if, if that could be the turning point for Justin Fields and then Iberflus could get as, as Ricky just alluded to, let's see if Iberflus could get some sort of culture that, that's, that is at this point would be needed in, in the Chicago dressing room. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just very skeptical about it though, but yeah, I, I, think- I wish them the best. I mean, it, it, it kind of feels destined to end in agony, but we'll see how it, how it goes. Yeah, I think what has us with this one is that you imagine if you have a young, talented quarterback that you want a, a head coach coming in with an offensive uh, coordinator background to instill a philosophy. So when you see them go, which is what I'm thinking, yeah, a defensive coordinator, that's why you say, well, this will have to be a culture guy because mm-hmm. you're not bringing someone who has a history of working and molding young QB talent. So that's to me, that's the, the challenge. That's probably yeah. why we look at the Miami hire probably a little bit more positively because we say, mm-hmm. okay, this person is coming in as the OC of a very productive offense, mm-hmm. working with a young quarterback in Tua. We kind of connect the dots and it makes natural, logical sense. In a case like this, it really it really does not. Which, which like, and, and that is kind of what had me because the Bears went all in to get Justin Fields, right? Yes. Moving up in a draft and all sorts of things. So I, 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 that's why I said I was very confused that they choose to go this route in hiring more of a defensive mind as a head right. coach. But I, I didn't think about it that way. But as you mentioned it, it, it could be um, based on the, the, the culture aspect, which is why I had to mention Luke Getzi as well, because I think he's going to play an integral part in the development of Justin Fields. Agreed. Now, one of the things that I think of whenever I hear the Chicago Bears is defense. Chicago has always been a team that's prided itself on the strength of its defense. Mm -hmm. And the defense has not been very strong, even though they've had pretty good personnel over the last few years. Now, Iberflus is coming from being the defensive coordinator of the Colts, who had an elite unit this season. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is down to his development. So from that perspective, it makes sense that they, for a team that is more about their defense more so than their quarterback play, per se, 
that they would definitely look to have a good defensive mind as their new head coach. Um, it, I'll be interested to see what happens with the the um, Getsy hire because he was the quarterback's coach at the Packers. And of course, you know, lots of coaches, they get jobs because they coach ex-player who was great. We'll have to see if um, he actually had anything to do with the greatness of Aaron Rodgers know that he has to coach up um, Justin Fields. So that was the first hire. Secondly was um, Mr. Nathaniel Hackett. Nathaniel Hackett, who was the OC over in Green Bay, he has now been hired as my Denver Broncos head coach. So AJ, what do you have on Hackett? I feel like we mentioned this before. This is this was done for one reason and one reason only. To try and lure A.A. Ron mm -hmm. to, to come to Mile High. That's it. That's it. I have no, no tactical breakdown, no technical analysis of this. That was solely to try and get A.A. Ron to Denver. What about you, Ricky? Do you have anything? Because A.J. just said my thought too. So I don't have anything else. <laughs> yeah, I... Um... Again, in, in researching for the show, Nathaniel Hackett is between a rock and a hard place because you take the job and you take the job hoping that Aaron is going to come up. I saw an article, and I guess you will be closer to this, Ken, where they said, oh, but Nathaniel Hackett has also been hinting that maybe Drew, Drew Locke will become his starting QB. Nathaniel Hackett has to hedge his bets because if Denver does not secure Aaron Rodgers, Nathaniel Hackett cannot start on the back foot by then saying, oh, we don't got Aaron Rodgers, so there goes the season. So I think that we're going to find out if it was the talent and philosophy of this individual that made the Packers um, offensive machine what it was, or if it was really the, the quality of the quarterback. What I will say as a semi-indictment is that we're not as confident that the Packers themselves are confident in love and in the development of love uh, the day after Valentine's. So therefore, if you are not confident in your development of this young QB and you have deferred his opportunities by another year, if Aaron Rodgers stays, then is Nathaniel Hackett going to be as patient in the development of one true love? So he's going to have a tough time because we think that Denver has a, a solid defense. We believe that they have talented uh, talent at the wide receiver and running back positions. We believe that they have talent at the tight end position with Noah Fah. So just like we say with some of the other teams, we're saying this team is a quarterback away. But a funny thing may happen on the way to getting the quarterback you want. The man may have one of his several personalities that ought to stay in Green Bay. So I think the Nathaniel Hackett hire can go from, you know, the highest of heights if they do secure Aaron Rodgers to here comes another 6 and 11, 7 and 10 season. It's going to be a very, a very tough task for, for Nathaniel Hackett if he is forced to use Drew Locke as his starting QB in 2022. Yeah, the quarterback position here is a problem. And the expectation is that Teddy Bridgewater is not returning to the team. So 
with him out, then it only is Drew Locke and nothings. Yeah, yes, correct. correct. So they need to find a way to get some sort of proper quarterback play. And the thought that came to mind, Ricky, when you were talking about Jordan Love, Nathaniel Hackett would have been one of those responsible for the development of Love. Exactly. And clearly that didn't happen. So now, how then do we hope that you're going to come and suddenly make Drew Locke into a world beater? Ah, it's going to be a tough time. It's going to be a rough season here in Mile High City. I can feel it already. <laughs> so next up, AJ, is your boy, Josh McDaniels, who mm -hmm. we thought was the heir apparent to the Sith Lord himself, but now he has <laughs> esconded himself over to the Las Vegas Raiders. So, AJ, what are your prospects for your former OC now that he is in Sin City? So when we had touched on this a couple of weeks back, I did say that I, I still don't trust it as yet. I, 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 I don't want to hug too much on his past because as, as Josh McDonald's has come out and said in the media, like he's learned from his mistakes in Denver. He's learned how to be, basically to get along with, with his players a bit more and how to talk to them better and blah, 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 blah right? I still need to see it. The proof is in the pudding for me, right? Proof, oh, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So I need to see it happen before I, I put the utmost faith in Josh McDaniels. I, I want to see him be successful. He's a part of the family. He came from our family, right? So I do want not too successful though because the Raiders in the AFC. So <laughs> not too successful, but I, I, I really do hope that he has learned um, from the past and that he is ready to take on this role. But at this point, I just... I'm, I'm, I can't say I'm, I'm very excited by it, nor am I kind of underwhelmed either. It's, I'm, I'm in equilibrium. I mean, yeah. I, I'm whelmed. I'm whelmed. Correct. <laughs> not under or over. Not, just correct. Well. Just whelmed. Correct. <laughs> oh, you're okay. Yeah. One thing I will say is that he's already gotten on the bad side of one Bill Belichick because he's poached three New England coaches. Um, to go to the Raiders and Belichick is supposedly furious with him for that because apparently that is a, a unbroken rule for Bill that when you get you, these jobs you don't poach New England coaches. Mm -hmm. So he took he took their um, Mick Lombardi is the wide receivers coach is gone. There was a, another gentleman who was promoted to quarterbacks coach by the name of Bo Hardigree. He's gone as well. And there's another coach, a third coach. And I found that interesting because they said, okay, if, you, if these guys are going with you and making the Patriots now have to search for replacements, I think that's one of the reasons why Joe Judge was able to go back to New England. It's going to get a little interesting because if you're willing to take the coaches, um, do you trade away to translate, again, some of the culture where maybe the Raiders become Patriots West? Um, it's going to be interesting because I like to monitor this situation because none of the New England coaches um, have shown consistent success um, after they leave New England. I really thought Flores had a chance to be that guy, but we all know that story. 
So it's going to be interesting to see. It's certainly having three coaches who understand the system and the culture, if that is, if they're able to instill it, it's going to be a tough, tough division to do it in, though. But I would hope that he learned from his stint in the Mile High City. I would hope that he learned from some of those bouts of immaturity that we have seen in the past. And maybe at 46 years old, he's in a place now that he's ready to, you know, to really take the Raider, Raiders to another level, especially the background of this talk that um, Carr is looking at about 40 plus million a year in his, in his extension. So again, Raiders, another team that they can't say that they're a quarterback away. They just have to produce the goods at this point. And they are a playoff team. Let's not forget that. They made the playoffs. So they got to get it together. It's going to be a lot of pressure, though, because it can't be good when you're looking at six games that include two against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, two against Justin Herbert and the Chargers. And, you know, you don't have – you're not looking at chopped liver at that point. <laughs> At that point, you you have you have a tough tough sledding in the AFC. So good luck, Josh. Yeah, I agree. Maybe we had discussed this prior because the thing we did touch on this AJ maybe like two mm -hmm. weeks ago. Yeah. Just after the news had broken, they said that I believe that for Josh McDaniels, that he, as he said, he's learned his lesson from what happened while he was here in Denver. We can only give him an opportunity to prove it. We, it doesn't make sense we holding it against him without actually giving him a chance to show that he's learned his lesson from that experience. So somebody has to hire him. Somebody has to give him a chance. Now, I am a little concerned about the poaching of the New England coaches only from the perspective of these players in Vegas are accustomed to one thing. I know you, if you're coming to set up Patriots West, it is going to be a stark contrast to what they've had before. And we've seen this story before. We've seen this play out in Detroit. Yes. When, mm -hmm. um, Matt Patricia. Matt yeah. Patricia yeah. went over there and decided that he wanted to make it the Motown Patriots. And his pencil behind his ear. Correct. A pencil. <laughs> A pencil behind his ear with a laminated play sheet that the pencil can't make any marks on. So when you go now and you try to bring and transplant the Patriot way in another location where you don't have the credibility of a Bill Belichick to, to kind of like strong arm it into there, you are going to come up against problems if the players themselves are not accustomed to that kind of thing. So... I hope that he is not coming to try to make Allegiant Stadium like Foxborough. I hope that he's coming to try to, yes, adjust and change the culture that they have and make it more into what he would want it to be while mm -hmm. still understanding that he can't just come and run roughshod over these adults because this is not college. These are not children that are hoping to get to the next level. No, these are guys that are getting paid more than you, coach. So therefore, respect has to be given. Respect has to be earned. So again, time will tell. We will see. <laughs> we will see what happens over there for him. But I wish him the best. 
somebody that I'm also wishing the best, Doug Peterson, <laughs> former Eagles coach. He has now the opportunity to be the savior of a franchise coming in off the bats of the Urban Meyer debacle down in Florida with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, Ricky, tell me about Peterson and the Jags. Um, I've often felt that Peterson got a little too much credit for the Eagles' success. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he did have the success. So, must admit, I was surprised that he got that job. Um, but Jags are going to jag. Um, I, I, I think that we can't question a coach that comes in having won a Super Bowl within the last few seasons. You have to give that individual and his team a chance to go to work. Um, but I remind people that Peterson didn't develop Vince. Um, As we say in West Indies, he came, he came and found him. But he got the best out of that team. The reality is the season where he got the best out of that team, especially postseason, it was not Wentz that took him there. It was a more experienced backup QB in Nick Foles. So I am not sure of Peterson's record as development of young talent because Peterson was also not in Kansas City to develop Mahomes. So technically, this is still going to be the first time that Peterson has a young quarterback and all that comes with having a young quarterback, the patience that's going to be required, the offensive philosophy that he's going to have to install hopefully to play to the strength of that young QB. So I think it's going to be a challenge. I mean, it's in Jacksonville, so it's already going to be a challenge, but definitely going to be a challenge for Peterson because you never really had the opportunity to take a young QB and mold him. And, and when Peterson had a young QB and went, he was not a big fan of that young QB. When the moment of truth came, Peterson opted to go with Nick Foles into war, into the trenches, to win on that on that playoff run that the, that the Eagles had because he had an opportunity if he wanted to to give the steering wheel back over to Wentz and he never did, rightfully so. So it's going to be interesting to see if he has the patience to work with young Lawrence. What about you, AJ? What do you have on Peterson? Um, so I may be a bit higher on Doug Peterson than Ricky is. And Slightly, maybe just a notch, not too much. I'm obviously no fan of Doug Peterson, and you all would know why, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and like Ricky, I was actually surprised at this hiring. Um, and it's still hard for me to wrap my head around it because it's a Jaguars. And I, I know that at some point in time, something is going to go wrong here at some point in time. However, I do actually like it a little bit, and I'll tell you why. So... As, as Ricky did mention, like, he wasn't necessarily the one that developed Carson Wentz uh, or Nick Foles, for that matter. However, he did have a system, Doug Peterson, that is, that got the best out of the two of them. Nick Foles is a bona fide number two in the NFL. He's not a starter. And, and he got the best out of him. And, well, we know Carson Wentz's the season that had me fooled was under Doug Peterson, right? True. That one season that had me, where he was an MVP candidate, was under Doug Peterson. So I believe that the, the key word here is something that Ricky mentioned before, and that's culture. I think what, what Peterson brings more so is that he will be able to foster 
uh, a culture in the dressing room that the Jags have so long been craving, right? Trevor Lawrence is the kind of talent that I think he just needs, he, he needs more so the culture than someone to actually develop him, right? The culture, uh, the, the system that comes along with it. And I think Trevor Lawrence can be the best version of himself under a coach like Doug Peterson. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily up to Doug himself to like take Trevor Lawrence particularly under his wing and make him great. But I think that what he can bring can get the best out of Trevor Lawrence. And obviously that is going to be priority number one because that is a Jags franchise going forward, right? Um, and and I, I must admit, I probably am a high on, on Peterson too because his predecessor was that despicable old man. So <laughs> it's, it's still an upgrade to me. So here's, here's where my skepticism on Doug Peterson is concerned. Doug Peterson seems to be a decent stabilizing influence on a, on a troubled franchise. Remember Doug Peterson came in right after they had the Chip Kelly experiment in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And that went horribly wrong. Not quite as bad as what happened with Urban Meyer, but it also it still went bad. And there's a reason why Chip Kelly is back in college and not still coaching with the pros. So he's now following up another terrible act where he now has to come in and try to fix things. But we've seen him do it before. So that is that is good. I just guys some mention of the culture issue. That is a plus for Peterson. But remember just now, I talked about like coaches sometimes getting too much credit depending on the, the players that they work with. Peterson is, to me, would like the poster child of that. Because Peterson, from what I remember, he had some coaching with Peter Manning, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Then he now got the head coaching job where he didn't have to develop a quarterback. And now he has a job where he has to develop one. We will see if he actually did any job, any work at all in developing Peter Manning, who we knew coming into the NFL, similar to Trevor Lawrence, that he was supposed to be great. The expectation was that he was going to be a generational talent. And yes, he had the talent there. The coaching did help him to get to the point where, you know, he is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Are we going to see the same kind of meteoric rise now with Trevor Lawrence, who had a very forgettable rookie season? So we, we will see. We will see what he's able to do. I am, I am just not convinced necessarily when we see these coaches who had a generational talent and now then they have to now come and take and try to create their own system somewhere else. And that goes for him. It goes for McDaniels, who had Tom Brady. It goes for Hackett, who had Rodgers. Those three, especially in this hiring cycle, those are the ones that I, I am a little bit concerned about. And to be honest, I do have some concerns about the next one too. The last one, actually, Kevin O'Connell, who at the time of this recording has not been named as, but is expected to be named the new head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Kevin O'Connell 
is coming straight from winning the Super Bowl as the offensive coordinator of the Rams. But I'm not going to give my comment first. So, AJ, tell me about O'Connell and the Vikings. Um, so, he's coming in as, well, he he's basically the, the incumbent um, offensive coordinator of the Rams, right? Just coming off of winning the Super Bowl. Uh, one of my co-workers is a Vikings fan, actually, right? And we were speaking a couple of weeks back. And I was saying to well, we were kind of discussing that. I, but I mentioned to him, I think that they, the Vikings, need an offensive mind as, as their head coach. As a, now, now that you're done with the Zimmerman era, the next step has to be somewhat offensive because that is where the strength of the Vikings lies right now. And if you're still trying to make a push for that division, especially in a situation where Aaron Rodgers could be heading out and, and, and almost like handing you the keys, I think it's more, it, it behooves them to try to get the best offensively. So I, I again, I, like, I, I, I actually like the hire. I, I, obviously, we've never seen O'Connell in a head coaching role before, so we don't know what he brings as we, we talked about culture, we don't know what he brings culturally or what kind of individual he is in that sense. But just from the standpoint of him being an offensive mind, I actually think that it is uh, tentatively, I think it's a good hire. Okay. What about you, Ricky? Yeah, I like it because if that offensive philosophy travels, when I look at the talent that he will have to work with in Minnesota, um yeah, he got he got some studs, he got some horses, he got some weapons to play with. Um at the wide receiver position, certainly the running back that he has. Mm -hmm. They had a good draft last season to improve upon their offensive line so that Kirk Cousins actually had time back there. Um they're one of the up-and-coming offensive lines out there as well. They have a nice young tight end who had gotten injured early. Um, I can't remember his name Irv right Smith. now. Irv Smith yes. Jr. Irv Smith yeah. Jr. that went to Alabama, correct. Mm -hmm. So him coming back will also be uh, an additional weapon in that offense because they didn't have um, Irv Smith Jr. last season. So offensively, he has pieces. He's not going into a situation where he knows to figure out, okay, I don't have the level of talent. And even though he doesn't have the level of talent that he had in L.A., he has, some, he has, a, he has a better running back then he left in LA and he has a stud wide receiver that even though he may not have put up the Cooper Cup numbers, he has a, a weapon that he could use um, similarly um, to, to what he did with Cooper Cup. He can move him all over the field in Jefferson. So from that perspective, I like it. I just think that that locker room probably had gotten grown tired of the same voice. Um, so it's going to be the power of personality, but there's no question if that offensive philosophy can go to play, I think our boy Justin and his Packers will have their hands full when they meet the Vikings twice next season because that's a, that's a philosophy that can work with the weapons that reside in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you guys are so positive. <laughs> because now then it allows me to to give full voice 
too much trepidations where this this particular hair is concerned. Now, I don't have anything against O'Connell as a person or even as a coach. <clears throat> I just don't know him and I don't know enough about him to feel good about him getting this job. No, he is another one to receive a head coaching position because of his proximity to the wonder child that is Sean McVay. Agreed. Uh, when we look at those who have gotten head coaching positions because of their proximity, not necessarily because they necessarily work with him, but their proximity to Sean McVay, the results are very, very mixed. We have Brandon Staley, who's at the Chargers. That by itself is mixed. We have Zach Taylor, who just got the Bengals to the Super Bowl. But before this season, again, mixed. Agreed. We have Cliff Kingsbury, who's supposed to be a good friend of Sean McVay. What we've seen from the from the Cardinals over the last couple of seasons, hot starts, late season collapses, and one absolute dreadful performance in the playoffs. So again, mixed. Now we have O'Connell, who is leaving as the OC of the Rams and going over now to be the head coach of the Vikings and. To your point, Ricky, he has a lot of weapons over there. He has a lot of toys to play with in that prime. But uh, only because we, we talked about it at length last week, we're not going to talk about it again this week, but it would be remiss of us if we do not draw some parallels between his situation leaving LA and Eric Bieniemy over in Kansas City. Who is the architect of the offense in the Rams? It's Sean McVay. Who's calling the plays for the offense for the Rams? It's Sean McVay. So what are we giving O'Connell credit for if it's Sean McVay's offense? Just like it has been Kansas City's offense, or should I say Andy Reid's offense, and Eric Bieniemy continues to get slated, even though he was calling the plays. They said that he was not the one to design the offense. I know O'Connell is not the one to design the offense, but we're giving him an opportunity now to be the architect of what could be one of the most dynamic offenses in the NFL. Are we being honest with this situation? Are we going to compare apples to apples or apples to oranges? So, so if I may rebut just for a quick second, one thing that I would say um, to me is factoring in here is the fact that O'Connell was the quarterback coach at Washington when Kirk Cousins was there. So I think that the familiarity with Kirk Cousins, whom we know the Vikings cannot move on from right now because of his contract. They still need to at least see out. And he has that, what, is two years left? Yeah. So they're not, they're not going to cut him, they're not going to get rid of him. So... I, I, I believe that, that O'Connell's familiarity with Kirk Cousins is one of the factors in getting him this job because it is about right now trying to get the best of that offense. And that, mean, that, that means Kirk Cousins is at the center of that, right? 
and these guys work together. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is justifiable or whatever. I'm just saying that I believe that this is a factor. Uh, if that is a factor, then all power to him. Hopefully we can get some, some black coaches from the um, college ranks that coach us. Some of these good young quarterbacks will get some call-ups too. Because remember when Kirk Cousins was at Washington, <laughs> Kirk Cousins was a third-round pick. He wasn't a first-round pick. And he's developed a lot since he's been in the NFL. So, that, I mean, it's just like Cliff Kingsbury. He was the coach of Patrick Mahomes, but nobody's giving him credit for what Patrick Mahomes has become because they said that if you want to find a way to slow down Patrick Mahomes, just give him Cliff Kingsbury back as head coach. So <laughs> Terrible. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> it, I, it feels like if I am I'm really going after O'Connell and that is not my aim that's not what I'm trying to do I'm mm -hmm. just looking at the situation and seeing the parallels between what he has done or where he has been and others and how it has benefited him and others and has been used to work against especially mm -hmm. Eric Bieniemy and Byron Leftwich He's another name that we could throw in there with the same kind of conversation because Leftwich went to be the OC of Arians' team and Arians' offense. We, we know he's the play caller because Arians doesn't even front. He's not out there standing up with no pressure. Right. He's right. there walking around with his hands in his pocket. Right. But at the same time, Leftwich is still being judged because he is the OC of Arians' offense. But O'Connell is not getting measured by that same yardstick, even though he's the OC, not play caller of the offense of the Rams. But I wish him the best. I really hope that he's able to do what is needed in that job. The UAJ, not too good because that is an NFC team. And if they do too good, <laughs> chances are they'll get in my way when my team is back, maybe not next season, but the season after. Exactly. All right, so that I think that brings us to a good spot where we can land this week's episode for um, the Green Bay podcast. We have gone through the entire season of the NFL from preseason, well, sorry, from the beginning of the uh, footballing year all the way now through to the Super Bowl. And that I think is something that we have to we have to feel good about because last when we started. We started last year for the playoffs. So yeah. now we've gone through an entire NFL season. And yeah. that is something that we have we definitely have to you know feel good about. Thank you for your applause, Ricky. And thank you for your support. We definitely do depend on the support of you and others. Um, Justin, who has been with us on the show this this season, um, Jason Reed, who's also been with us. That comes and gives us a different perspective, allows people to see a different face, hear a different voice. We definitely appreciate that. Um, we wanted to see if we could have gotten to talk about the NFL honors. We'll save that for another time. But this has been fun. This has been this has been a good experience for us during this season. Um, next week. I think we're going to have a little bit more basketball talk than football talk. We have a guest who's joining us from jolly old England. So we're going to be talking some, some basketball stuff with him. And, you know, we'll also test him 
also football stuff series that but of course you know football is the bread and butter of green beach and we will definitely have a lot more of that conversation maybe not next week but definitely to be after as we have another guest coming in where we have some some interesting topics of discussion to look at ricky do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here today just a reminder, once you guys have calculated who won the playoff pool, I don't know if it would be a gentleman whose last name is Ashley Pool, <laughs> but we will, <laughs> we will see, and I will present, I will gladly present his praise on behalf of our MGA agency. So you guys can go about I, I hardly doubt that many people had the Bengals in the uh, Super Bowl. Not even sure if many had the Rams, but I guess when you guys look back at the entries, you will see, but um, we, we stand ready to present that winner with um, his or her prize um, for that. And yes, we do thank you for your support with that and your sponsoring yes, of the prize. Indeed. Yes, that that definitely did help. And of course, as we've made mention, we will be back with more bracket challenges as we get into like the NBA playoffs. And then there is also the World Cup coming up at the end of the year. And of course, as soon as we know who the knockout teams are going to be, then we'll have a bracket challenge for that as mm -hmm. well. So as always, thank you again, Ricky, so much for being with us. That is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beige. And we will see you next time.